Me. My dog's like a play mad in a 2K But one thing they don't do is play about me My homeboy Tyler, he playing South Beach He told me this summer he gon' fix my jumper I told boy Wonder that we might got a thumper I've been trying to pop, now I'm on like Shumper Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris Rob, what it do? What's up, what's up? Week 14 in the NFL out the way A lot of good topics to talk about it. Let's dive in Let's get to it, man. There's a lot happening in sports, leading down the stretch in football. We got NBA preseason heating up. Um, but let's jump into NBA right quick. They had two big contract signings uh, today. Giannis signed the, the, the Super Max, five years, $228 million. Late last week, PG-13 down in L.A. signed a four-year, $190 million extension. What, what's your thoughts on Giannis signing first off? Uh Will that change superstars staying in, you know, mid-sized markets? I mean, first of all, the NBA just be handing out money like Monopoly. <laughs> it's crazy. Like plate money. Throw these numbers around like like it's nothing. But two hundred twenty-eight million dollars. I mean, we're, people in basketball are receiving a quarter of a billion dollars. For, for five years right that's crazy because when you think about it you hear like magic johnson and people like that from back in the day do interviews like they were not making this kind of money at all um but with regard to Giannis, i'll, I'll say that <clears throat> i listened to the Woj pod cover Giannis's uh draft year and you know they interviewed a number of people who knew him growing up in greece his agent um kind of like his handlers and stuff like that and then just you know the teams that basically were courting him that he came to the United States to visit and um like Danny Danny Ferry with the with the Hawks who was like really all in on Giannis and trying to keep it a big secret and and what you got from that was that this dude was super humble and that you know his parents didn't have a lot of money they were kind of you know the type of people who would like sell stuff in the street and that was what his parents did to raise him and his I believe three brothers and so when you when you hear everything in those interviews it doesn't surprise you that he's the type of guy who is super loyal he's super into family he's not about you know being in big cities and a lot of distractions and stuff like that and so it doesn't surprise me at all that he chose to to stay in milwaukee i also heard that you know, i think when he first got to milwaukee he didn't even have a car people would see him walking to and from practice and give him rides and so he feels like milwaukee is his his home in america is what he knows it's the only place he's lived since he's been here. So it's not surprising to me that he elected to stay with the Bucks, but I also don't think that that's necessarily indicative of what we're going to see more of in the future. Yeah. He's just yeah. Built, he's built different. I mean, I, I'll say this being a, a Pelicans fan living in New Orleans, it's it's promising or at least hopeful that you could keep Zion, you know, at, at least past the first deal, right? Cuz the last thing you want to do as a small market is is draft a guy and never see the fruits of the labor, you know, for him to develop as a kid on your team and then go help somebody else win a championship, much like AD did last year with the Lakers. So, you know, maybe Giannis starts a trend, you know, Dame literally said multiple times he wants to stay in Portland. And I think it's good for the game, like to have players identify with certain teams and not chase rings. And, and ultimately, I think he has a shot at winning in Milwaukee, right? LeBron is is 30, what, 7, 38 years old. Um, Just relax, 36. 36, you know, same thing. Same, same thing. Chris Paul. Um, I mean, you even look at, at, at Kawhi, right? Kawhi's probably got about three or four years on Giannis. So I think there's an opportunity for Giannis um, to win long term. I mean, you know, Boston is young. They're good. The Nets, you're going to see what KD and Kyrie do, but he has a chance. I don't know that he will, but he has a chance. But like you said, like ultimately, if he doesn't win the next three years, he can do what AD did in New Orleans and, and force his way out. And he's still under thirty. So I don't think this by any means by any means you know signifies that he's there for his career. But but I do like him signing the mega deal right now and kind of committing to him uh, before free agency. Yeah, he's only twenty six years old. One one story that stuck out in the uh, in the Woj pod about you know that tells you a lot about him to me was uh, a portion where they discussed one of the agents kind of joking with him about why he wanted his mom to come over there and stay with him in America because he was going to meet a, some beautiful women and he's going to want his own privacy and his money um, in his house to himself. And he said that Giannis got mad at him 
and kind of yelled at him and, and told him like, I'll never turn my back on my family. I'll always take care of my family. And he was like, I was just joking. But you know, the amount of anger that he had in that moment just told me like how intense he was, how intensely loyal he was to his family and the idea of taking care of family first. Um, and so I think he probably views this a little bit different than most of these like millennial NBA players where he feels like the Bucks, you know, took a chance on him and he's going to reward them with his loyalty back. And I think there's something to say about like he wasn't the number one pick. I think he might have went somewhere around 15. I think uh, it was 12 maybe. 12. So, you know, he went outside that top 10. So I, I think there's a level of, um, you know, humbleness that comes with that. Um, and, and, you know, you know, just not being a prima donna that some of these guys who are like five-star recruits out of high school play one year in college, the number one pick. So I, I think all that comes into play when you talk about that. And, now, and you, you actually right. It was, it was the 15th pick in the 2013 draft. And one funny story, another funny story from the, from that pod, he mentions OJ Mayo being on the team and they told him go guard OJ. And he was like, who's OJ? And OJ was like, how the fuck doesn't this new rookie know who I am? Um, and so like you said, he remembers himself as this humble young kid who was kind of getting pushed around and bullied, not as the guy who came in as the star, like somebody like OJ felt like they were. Right. Funny, funny. OJ Mayo was nothing more than a role player his entire career, but felt he deserved some level of respect due to being like a five-star recruit. Um, number one recruit in the country, probably since like eighth or ninth grade, he was supposed to be kind of like the next LeBron. I remember him right. um, and, and never really lived up to the billing, but um, you mentioned Giannis's loyalty. Let, let's talk about a brother who ain't loyal at all. <laughs> PG thirteen. Finally got to watch that full podcast. It was <laughs> it was worse watching all the smoke than even the clips. If yeah. that's possible, I it, it's, if it's possible to dislike somebody even more after <laughs> like typically after an interview, you, you you come across you come you know liking finding some redeeming qualities in in a person, and I find myself like liking Paul George even less after the interview. Yeah, I mean, just one guy to throw out. I was actually watching a, a Jimmy Butler uh, story tonight, and I've listened to him on a couple of pods, like maybe J.J. Reddick's pod or or no, the Knuckleheads probably. But he's a guy – not J. Uh, – I'm sorry. Jimmy Butler is a guy who I have liked a lot more the more I hear about him. Got a bad rap from, like, the Philly experience, the Minnesota mm -hmm. experience. But when you hear his story, it's just like he makes sense to you, and you think that, like, maybe he's just the only real person about around a bunch of divas. And – to my point, you talk about a bunch of divas. You listen to this Paul George interview, and it kind of reminds me of what we said when we talked about like the Kyrie stuff. Like some people just lack self awareness, right? And I think he just sees himself maybe in a different light than his performance to date actually places him. Um, and you know, there was a point where we were looking at the Pacers, like, oh, they may be the team that could knock off LeBron in the Heat, but they never did that, right? right. And then he went to to went to OKC with Melo and Russ, and they didn't win, and he got himself out of there. I mean, he he skillfully kind of navigates through all of those conversations as to why he did those things. Um, but I wasn't compelled, and so to have watched the interview and then boom, see five years one four years one ninety, all I could think was like the Clippers are going to do Clipper things because the problem, like you mentioned in the last pod, they both can leave after a year right? right and so now that you've locked paul george in but haven't locked Kawhi in based on everything we've seen about Kawhi, like i would think that he has a problem with the way things went last year and if things don't look better this year i could easily see himself getting himself out of that situation and now you're stuck locked in on paul george you know for the it's a four-year extension so it would be five years right and um I don't see how that benefits anybody. Like you've already lost Montrezl Harrell, um, and there's rumors that you, that uh, Lou Will might still be on the way out um, because it's thought that like along with Mo Harkless and uh, and um, the our guy who went to the, the Lakers that they may have been the, the the voices of dissension in the room. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Lou Will was happy with how everything went down because he was part of that resurgent Clippers team that that made it playoffs with a bunch of no names. Um, real quickly, I, I want to talk about the pod just, just right quick, all the smoke. Uh, Paul George kept referring to an MVP season. I'm <laughs> not exactly sure um, 
and what lifetime he's talking about the MVP season he had last year, the, the year before he got to the Clippers, he was a um, first team all NBA player, but he has never won an MVP. So I'm not really sure. He might have had a most improved player season. <laughs> right. But, but never most valuable player. So I'm not sure if he doesn't know what the acronym stands for, but but he never actually got an MVP. So I, I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was pretty funny. And a couple of people we talked to mentioned that as yeah, well. I got a couple of texts. When did Paul George win an MVP? Right. I started, I was like, I'm pretty sure we've talked about MVP so often in this podcast. And I know his name has never come up in that light. Let me go to the Googles. I was like, maybe he got an all-star game MVP. I, I couldn't find that. Right. And, and the other the other thing I wanted to point out in, the, in the, the interview was he mentioned he had a deal lined up or he had an arrangement lined up with Anthony Davis to get oh. him to sign with the Pacers, which I, I'm going to call that a flat out lie. <laughs> if, if AD was leaving New Orleans, he damn sure wasn't going to Indianapolis. The argument was that because he's from Chicago, Indianapolis isn't far from home for him. And and for some reason, the the Pacers management didn't want to sign off on it. I I refuse to believe any of about winning. And and that whole portion of the podcast was all in an effort to say why it was okay that he said in an interview that he was a Pacer for life and then left like shortly thereafter. Right, right. So uh, that was two things that really stood out to me as just being. Factually incorrect. Yeah, uh, my, my guy had a bad playoff series where he hit the side of the backboard, and this is like <laughs> his attempt at you know a rebrand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought I, I love all the smoke, but I thought they were extremely lenient. Oh, yeah. On, on, yeah. During the interview, and just not you know asking some follow up. Very, very player friendly interview. Yeah, definitely. But uh, we'll leave it at that. If, if y'all haven't checked out the the podcast on all the smoke, definitely check it out. Um. I'm not a Paul George fan prior. Now nah, I'm still not one. Um, let's move on to the uh, NCAA basketball. Oh, just real quick, I wanted to ask you anything that you have you watched any preseason basketball, and if so, anything have that you've seen so far that that's kind of stood out to you? I, listen, I don't even like to watch regular season NBA basketball, so I damn sure ain't watching preseason. But um, I, I, I say that, and then I, I watch a little bit of Zion in a Pelicans. They look, saying, that's what I'm they saying. Look, they look they look legit. Yeah. And uh and Kyrie look like he's fully healthy, and so does KD. And so I think they're gonna cause some problems. I mean, I, I would expect them to to win the East. They're they're I think they're pretty much two of the top four players in the East. Um, and, and so I do think they'll come out the east, but but I'm excited about Zion for, for sure. Yeah, I mean, in a couple, like I saw Obi topping out there booming on some folks, LaMelo. Throwing some behind the back uh, ball, throwing some some behind the back passes. Um, Lonzo. You know. No, no, no. In short, oh, you talking about the short? Oh, okay, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Lamelo Ball threw a behind nice behind the back pass. I think he hit two threes tonight. And um, yeah, I'm just excited uh, up there in, in Lakerland. They kind of been sitting all their people front running, but you know this kid, Talon Horton Tucker, the guy who kind of made a little bit of noise in the bubble out of Iowa State last year, he's been showing up um, in the preseason as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets any legit minutes uh, in the actual, you know, regular season. I mean, listen, you know, I'm saying joking about preseason. We're really only about a week away, right? right. Oh, no, we are right. a week away from twenty yeah, seconds, the first game. Yeah, so that's next week. So. Um, it gets real, real fast, and then, and then they got a, you know, I think a four or five game uh, telecast coming on Christmas Day. So, so it's about to about to be real, real fast. So, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to some NBA um, and, and seeing some of the new faces and you know, new teams and stuff like that. So, we'll see what happens. Oh, one quick question before we move on: the Harden picture. Listen, listen. <laughs> I told you this man was in Vegas. Hanging with little baby, catching COVID. And, yeah, I mean that's that's a a Vegas diet. That's a guy who you know loves to run the strip clubs. They're always selling wings and you know drink a lot of brown liquor, some Hennessy. Like that's a that's a Hennessy belly. That's a Hennessy and wings belly. I saw right there. If 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 I were a coach, I think somebody said this is not group text. I'd run his ass all night. Yeah, you'd be out there all night. No no breaks in the preseason game. And if I was a team who considered trading for you. I damn sure wouldn't want you right now. Right. Once that picture circulates, I'm like, and you want me to mortgage my future on this? Break? Right. Done. Uh, quickly, let's talk a little NCAA basketball. The season has seemed to be kind of in flux. I think a lot of people thought, you know, 
when they first came out, they weren't going to have that many COVID cases. That's not the case at all. On top of that, we've got a lot of the blue bloods who are losing. Coach K asked last week if NCAA should consider, consider stopping the season. And, and one coach pointed out that, you know, he's lost two home games at Duke uh, in the first month, which is like never happened in his tenure. Kentucky is one in four or started one in four. They might have had a game this week. Um, and then on a serious note, Florida's player, Keontae Johnson, who was preseason SEC player of the year, collapses on the court uh, this past weekend. Uh, and he's still in critical condition. He's, he, he was in a self-induced coma. He's now awake and, re- and responsive to some short commands, but he's still in critical condition. So it's, you know, a lot of issues are surfacing with COVID, a lot of cancellations, and, and just teams can't seem to get in the rhythm. Uh, I know we kind of talked about this last week, Rob, but do you see NCAA finishing this season in March Madness? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We we, we talked a little bit during the week. Uh, we joined the Clubhouse app, you know, just to kind of, you know, feel around and get into some chat rooms and talk to different people. And uh, I was in one with an HBCU um uh, he wasn't an athletic director, but high up in the athletic department. And he said, you know, from his perspective, they're just hoping to finish the season at this point. He said that, you know, realistically speaking, if you didn't have the money to test three days a week, your school should have never started playing. And at this point, even with the testing three days a week at the rate they're going, you know, they're hoping to make it to conference tournaments, but it's just, it's not going as planned right now is, is all we can say. I mean, and that's nationwide, you know, there's an uptick in cases. Right. And so um, I, I don't know. I just thought that basketball would be easier with less men on the roster, but I think it's just so happened that the basketball season has coincided with like the holidays and then a national uptick in cases. So I think those things, students traveling and, you know, they're not in any type of bubble situations. Right. And, and so even though you have less players, you have more games. So you have more travel. Um, so and, you know, then they play these invitational tournaments to start the season, which are in random locations. Yep. I think there's just a lot of opportunity, you know, for contracting the virus. And that's what we're seeing. And with the protocols, I mean, you know, we saw where you pulling people like Des Bryant in a football game the night of in right. college basketball. I mean, that game's probably canceled, realistically speaking. Because they're taking less chances with college athletes um, and college students. If, if, if a player on the team has it prior to the start of the game, you simply can't take the chance of letting, you know, 20 to 30 kids, you know, sweat all over each other and, and hope that they don't uh, also have it and are spreading it. And I wonder what's the long term impact uh, going on in NCAA basketball, because they didn't remember they didn't have March Madness last year. They didn't have really have conference tournaments got canceled and then and then the big tournament got canceled. Now you're looking at a lot of COVID cases, the uptick in cases. If they don't play a second consecutive season without the NCAA tournament, which is already going to be some scaled down version all in one location, you start to wonder what's the long term impact on on some of these institutions, specifically the ones that don't have Division One football or where basketball is king, like a Syracuse or Villanova. You know, UNC, um, Duke, Kentucky, you know, some of those blue bloods. Like, how does that start to impact their their athletic departments financially in long term? And, and all that being said, we're also moving into an era where players are going to be able to jump straight into the NBA again. And you have like increased, uh, you know, money going into developmental leagues. So it's like if the fans get kind of familiar and comfortable with not seeing as much college basketball it makes it an easy transition for players to start to, you know, take advantage of other options. Definitely. Definitely. Let's move on to the big boy of college sports. College football is finally rounding up. Uh, albeit it's going, you know, the range is big from teams that play 10 games to you look at the Pac-12. They got teams that play three and four games. But but this is championship week. You know, however you want to look at it. Uh, let's first talk about. The Big Ten. We mentioned it last week. I made them one of my losers um, when they were considering changing the rules for Ohio State. They had a rule the Big Ten implemented before the season started. You had to play at least six games to qualify for the championship uh, game, big, the Big Ten championship game. Well, Ohio State finished 5-0, and and next up was Indiana at 6-1, and and they did not want Indiana in that game. So the Big Ten, after the season was completed, changed the minimum game rule to allow Ohio State 
to get in the Big Ten championship as they're the, they're the only team in the league that will be eligible or, or qualified to get in the college football playoff just based on record and, and prestige and, and, and those kind of things. So what's your thoughts on just the Big Ten changing the rule and, and, and where do you see uh, Ohio State going in terms of college football playoff? Do you think they got a chance at winning it? I think they do have a chance at winning it. I think that's what everybody's kind of scared of, like the fact that they didn't have to go through all of the bumps and bruises that these other teams had to go through. And, you know, you put them out there with Justin Fields, they got a good coaching staff. They're, they're still a threat. They're still yeah. a threat, right? Um, I think a big issue is that they may, at the fourth seed, end up playing Bama in the first round. I think that the team that really wouldn't want to see them um, or the teams would be Notre Dame and Clemson, right? So if there's any way that they sneak into that third seed, that's where it becomes scary, right? Uh, right now they're four, but with Clemson and Notre Dame being two and three and playing this weekend, all of a sudden there's an opportunity for them to be three and, or even two, if Clemson wins, maybe you put, however you slice it, Clemson could be playing them. Right. Um, and I think, you know, Dabo might be a little scared of that. I think Notre Dame should be scared of that. Uh, in terms of what the big 10 did, listen, they didn't really have any options. I, it just, to me, it shows poor planning on the front end, but, but then we also know that they didn't want to have a season to begin with. But the reason they didn't have any options is because college football playoffs was going to put Ohio State in there regardless. Right. So you kept Ohio State out of your conference championship, and then the college football player put them in their playoffs, it would have been a, it would have been a stain on the entire conference. Additionally, we both know that you know Indiana starting quarterback was hurt, and nobody wanted to see them in a conference championship just from a ratings perspective right and at the end of the day this is all about money so it's a bad look for the big 10 but they were kind of boxed in in their own rule um which didn't track the the college football playoff rule came back to bite them in the ass i just want to know what they promised indiana in the back room because because they got to give them something for you can't change the grading scale after you gave the test and got the damn results it's just right. unacceptable. Right. Um, but but everything uh, the Big Ten in general is like you say they just handled everything poorly. You felt like they kind of got bullied into having a season to begin with. Why they made this arbitrary rule, I do not know that they wind up changing. But um, you know, at the end of the day, all Big Ten teams win if Ohio State gets in the college football playoff. And you're talking about a, a boatload of money, especially given the money that's being lost due to COVID without fans at the stadiums and those kind of things. So I think at the end of the day, that's kind of where the Big Ten and the, and the partnering schools were at with it. Like, they yeah, I mean, don't need this money. Only reason I can see that they would create the rules to incentivize the schools and the kids to stay safe and, and not get COVID yeah. because if you were just sloppy and wild about it, you you run the risk of essentially having your season voided out by not having enough games. That, that shit didn't that, – that rule didn't work at all. Definitely did not. <laughs> um, game of the week. I think the, the most important, most, you know, game with, with the most on the line is the ACC championship game. You got Notre Dame in a rematch against Clemson. Notre Dame beat them the first time in South Bend without Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. So, you know, I, I think Clemson is the favorite. However, Notre Dame is hot. They undefeated so far. And, they you know, they got confidence on their side. Who are you taking in this game? I'm taking Clemson. Um, it was a close game, like you said, at Notre Dame without the uh, without Clemson having Trevor Lawrence, and so I just think they're poised to to um, to to win the rematch at a neutral location with their starting quarterback. So also, I, you know, we talking about what conferences are doing to help teams along. I mean, both Clemson and Notre Dame had their games canceled this weekend. They would have been in some you know type of makeup game. I think that. One of them, I think Notre Dame had Wake Forest and uh, Clemson was supposed to have a, I think their makeup game for Florida State would have been this week possibly. Um, but Florida State ended up just taking a makeup game against Duke. But basically both of them were given a week off to, you know, prepare and rest up for the for the ACC championship. So you have another example of, you know, the, the conference essentially saying, listen, you guys are already in. Like, I'm sure they didn't want to run the risk of any injury, um, any you know anybody getting COVID from those other teams right. or god forbid one of those teams lose and then shake up your whole conference championship which you've already set up with. so listen I, I think we both agree clemson is is the favorite to win a game with having trevor lawrence back however i think the most exciting result is if 
Notre Dame wins, that gives Clemson two losses. In that case, who do you think is the fourth team if Ohio State wins, Alabama wins as expected? If Notre Dame wins and Clemson has two losses, who do you think is the next team in? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Texas A&M, right? If, if Alabama beats Florida in the ACC championship, I'm sorry, the SEC championship, then it's easily Texas A&M. They're 7-1, and one, um, and all the teams behind them have two losses. Yeah. And, you know, that's just it, that's what it's going to be. It'd probably be a rematch of Texas A&M-Alabama with another blowout, but, you know, they've resume-wise earned it. As much as it pains me to say that because I hate Jimbo Fisher – <laughs> it, it is what it is. And again, I, I think, like you said, we've seen that AM Alabama matchup. So is there a chance that Clemson just drops the four? Like because of their history in the college football playoff, I think they've been in it every year. If not, they've maybe missed it once. So you start to wonder um, if they both their losses to Notre Dame. I don't see that happening. I think a second SC school would get in over an ACC two loss team. But yeah, no, the argument for Clemson remaining in would be to have to be to bump Ohio State out, right? And just say that five games isn't enough, and then put A and M and Clemson in. Um, and that's the only the only way that, I, that argument would work. Yeah, and I just don't see that happening because they want Justin Fields in that. Right. Um, so another thing that's happening, you know, we got all these championship weeks going, but also what happens the week of championship week is a lot of coaches get fired, a lot of turnover. I thought specifically that due to COVID, there wouldn't be a lot of firings. I thought coaches were going to get a pass just because they didn't have spring practice. They had limited and, and, and you know, inconsistent summer practices. Seasons have been cut short. Games have been postponed and canceled, so I thought it was going to be kind of kind of slow on that front. However, um, we've had Derek Mason from Vanderbilt already fired, and then just this week you had Kevin Sumlin of Arizona fired, Lovey Smith at Illinois fired, and Gus Malzahn at Auburn fired. What what firing stands out the most to you? I mean, I think it's the Gus Malzahn firing. That's a really big fire. First of all, he won the game before he was fired. Right. Um, Second of all, it's just a, a huge job. And, and everybody kind of told us that this was a year where coaches were essentially going to get a pass because it's a global pandemic. And, you know, we're all just doing the best that we can. And for somebody who, you know, has the the, the history that Malzahn has, you know, coached the national championship against FSU, uh, was on staff for the F, the, the national championship with, with Gene Chizik, Um I, I just didn't see that one coming. I thought that he's somebody who was on the hot seat last year, but I thought, you know, would be given a pass at least into next year. And he beat Alabama last year, their rival, which got him an extension, which right. I think also is the big storyline with Gus Malzahn is that not only did Arbor fire him after winning a game this week, he also finished with a winning record at six and four. And as you mentioned, given the global pandemic, they have a buyout of $21.7 million. So for a school to pay that kind of money, given the amount of money they're losing, seems really odd. It makes you wonder what would happen behind the scenes uh, to make them pull a trigger on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other one that we hadn't mentioned was Will Muschamp, which was a, was a, a few weeks ago. But, I, you know, listen, in college footballers – yeah, college football is big business, so it'll yep. be interesting to see how things shake out. I know that I think the Illinois job there was mention of uh, defensive coordinator Matt Leonard from uh, Wisconsin potentially getting that job. I think Vandy is looking at Notre Dame's defensive coordinator um, Billy Napier is a name that's been thrown in the mix. Uh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon, mm -hmm. Billy Napier being the coach at ULL, Mario Cristobal at Oregon supposedly being looked at at Auburn. And Hugh Freeze um, as well, and Hugh Freeze. So just a lot of lot of names uh, out there. I'm you know a little biased. I'm hoping Billy Napier stays at ULL, um, but it'll just be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, definitely. Um, what we're gonna see? We got we got another thing that I'll I'll I'll, I'll mention in passing. We don't need to discuss too much. LSU self imposed a postseason ban this year. Um, due to the sexual assault allegations and the handling of that by administration. 
so, I thought that the self-imposed bowl ban had to do with the the money that exchanged hands with regards to the the booster um, and, and a, a previous player. But but you right too. Spend no time on that because <laughs> the idea of a three and sixteen banning <laughs> themselves from a bowl game is just laughable. Four and five, sir. Get it right. Four and five. But agreed. I, I think if I'm the NCAA, I mean, you know, and I, I'm hoping we don't, you know, the hammer doesn't get dropped on us. But I would not give LSU any credit for imposing a bowl, a bowl ban in a year where we're going to finish 500 at best, even though, you know, they, they, they put out a rule saying that you could go to a bowl even with a losing record. Just to me, that's, you know, it's kind of disingenuous of us to, to imp- implement a, a postseason ban in, in a year like this. Uh, and and say it's we're you know trying to impose some sanctions on us to to punish ourselves. That's kind of uh, disingenuous, but we'll see what happens. Last thing, you know, we're both kind of big into recruiting. You Florida State and the LSU. Um, tomorrow is early signing day. This is up. I think it's maybe the third year they implemented it. Signing day was always the first Wednesday in February. It's still that, but they also about three years ago implemented early signing day before Christmas to allow teams in, in the, the high school prospects to sign on the dotted line if they wanted to get the process over with. Uh, in saying that, you know, I think you got a lot of the blue bloods who, who are going to be top of the recruiting class, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Oklahoma, Georgia. Um, but uh, we, we'll see how that shakes out. It's always a few surprises. Um, so So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, you just got all these added elements this year, like kids not having been able to go on the visits. The right. early signing day had started to like increase in, in percentage of kids who signed early. I think the first year was like 70 to 75 percent, then it was like up to 81, 82 percent. But I think we'll see a huge that number drop significantly this year where most of the kids haven't had the chance to travel. Coaches haven't had the chance necessarily to to drop in. I mean, you know, every year you see the videos of Nick Saban and Dabo dropping in on football fields and helicopters to go visit their top targets. And so you haven't had any of that this year. High school football seasons have been significantly scaled back. And so, you know, just from having film to evaluate to the actual recruiting and relationship building, all that's been significantly scaled back. So I think we'll see a a smaller number of kids commit. Um, Those top kids will probably commit because they've probably been being recruited for years and they're more familiar with the programs, but it'll have some impact. Definitely, definitely. Um, so we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll report back on that next week on, on you know any big surprises or, or who, kind of, who kind of finished with the top five recruiting classes. Um, let's move on to the NFL. Big storylines. We know we, we hometown Saints fans. So so the big storyline I think coming out of Week 14 is the Saints lose uh, the first seed at least for now. Um, in, with, the with the, in the NFC, in the NFC, with 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 the loss, we moved to ten and three, which ties us with Green Bay, and Green Bay beat us head to head this year. So that was a big loss, especially for the Saints who are heading into Week 15 against the Kansas City Chiefs, which was being billed as the game of the week, if not a game of the year. Um, so my first question to you, Rob, is how does this loss to to um, the, the Philadelphia Eagles? impact the return of drew Brees. a lot of people thought that he would be back for the kansas city game but now that we've you know lost the first seed in the nfc do you think that impacts him returning this week listen what, what how many minutes we into this podcast because i got a lot to say and i'm <laughs> and i'm not about to mince words i was pissed and i was pissed at all the people on twitter and every other social media outlet that said that, you know, Saints fans shouldn't be too pissed and that we're basically becoming spoiled fans. You know, we're 10 and three. We should be satisfied with 10 and three. If if we would have heard that we were going three and one out of uh, Drew Brees' injury, we would all have been all been excited. Yeah, but if you if you rattled off the records of the four teams that we were supposed to play with anybody back there at quarterback, I would have expected anybody on our roster at quarterback, I would have expected to go four and zero. Oh. And so I was significantly, you know, disappointed in in the loss and then just the way we lost. And I and I will agree that there was a failure on every level, offense, defense and special teams. But I think what I was most disappointed about is the fact that we just continue to try to taste him out there with his limitations. And I know I'm a Jameis guy. I'm an FSU guy. So it's I feel like a homer saying it, but I just feel like. The ceiling on Taysom throwing the ball is low. We have him out there for his legs. 
But in S in in, in in actuality, what's happening is, you know, I think Taysom maybe has 122 dropbacks or something like that since in in, the, in this season, and I think Drew Brees had like over 300. And Taysom already has been sacked more times than Drew Brees. Maybe it was like 13 to 11 or something like that. And in addition, you have to add in the 10 fumbles from Taysom. And I believe at this point now, uh, I'm not sure if it's two or three interceptions and didn't have a touchdown pass until uh, last week against the Falcons. And this is against four in, in four games against really weak opponents. And so for me, if this is a, a year where we're all in and I listened to Sean Payton's interview on uh, White and Trotter's podcast and he said what we've heard, which is that he made a promise to taste him in the offseason when he signed him to what effectively was a two-year, $21 million deal, that you are going to be the backup. You'll have your shot to lose this job. And that was before Jameis was even in the picture. And so he, uh, in effect, is saying that I am keeping my word. But this is this is football. Like, this isn't the Boy Scouts. Keeping your word. Like, we're trying to win football games. And more importantly, we're trying to win a Super Bowl. We're down 17-0, and we still came back out with Taysom. Like, I was just a little disappointed. I don't think we're necessarily playing the quarterback that gives us the best chance to win. I understand wanting to see what you have in Taysom. Um, but I just think that at a minimum, there should have been packages drawn up for both. And I think that throughout this process, not giving Jameis any snaps kind of leaves you with your pants down when Taysom starts, you know, having a really bad game. And now we're in a situation where – do we even bring Drew Brees back? I know that was your original question. And I don't I don't think it makes sense to, right? I don't know in these three games that we really have a great chance of catching the Chief, uh, of catching the Packers. I don't think we can beat the Chiefs uh this week with Taysom and then if you bring Drew Brack, 11 fractured ribs. We've talked about um Greg McElroy's comments about how long it took his ribs to actually heal. He was younger, less ribs broken uh, or fractured. I'm, I have significant concerns about bringing Drew back this week. I think that we should not bring him back this week, but I feel like Jameis should be the star. I feel like Jameis is the only person that's going to give you the opportunity to compete with uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes. And I don't even think he'll get it done, but I just think that this is a shootout type game and you need a quarterback who can throw the ball around the yard. Yeah, this was a colossal failure by the Saints, I feel like. While, while Drew is down, I don't think it makes sense to bring Drew back this week. For one, even if you win the game, it doesn't it doesn't assure you or or even give you you know a great shot at at winning the NFC, being a first seed. And only the first seed gets a bye this year because seven teams go due to the pandemic. They added an extra playoff team. So at at this point, don't rush Drew back because even with the win, we're not guaranteed to get the first seed. And currently, we don't sit at the fourth seed. Um, and then I feel like it's a colossal failure because some of the things you mentioned, right? First of all, you brought Jameis in to see if he could potentially be the future of your the future quarterback of this franchise. So we haven't seen him at all. And given the teams we've Atlanta quarterback, Philly, we were down 17 other. There was ample opportunities, even if you want to start Taysom and give Taysom a true shot, you owed it to the franchise and, and, and to the team by bringing this guy a former first-round draft pick, a guy who threw for 5,000 yards in NFL and over 30 touchdowns in a single season, you owed it to the team to, to give him a shot to really see if he could be potentially be the future. Because if, if you're not going to give him a shot, then why bring him here? You've seen with Taysom. Taysom's been on the team for two or three years. You've seen Taysom in practice over the course of the last three years to see what he can do. You know more about his skill set. You've only had Jameis for four or five months no no real summer camp training camp to speak of and so this was your opportunity to really see what he could do on the field the second reason i think it's a colossal failure is because there's no guarantee that once drew returns he won't get re-injured and we've already come out drew has said it sean payton has said it the organization has said it this year is super bowl or bust so if drew goes down again re-injures himself and you need a quarterback to step in Taysom Hill cannot lead you to the Super Bowl. He cannot win you the Lombardi Trophy. Jameis has the skill set and the tools to do that. I'm not saying he definitely would or we even have a high percentage chance of doing it, but he has a better chance of doing it than Taysom Hill currently 
uh, based on their skill set and where they're at as NFL quarterbacks. So I, I think that's the two reasons why I'm super disappointed that Jameis hasn't he hasn't touched the field in the last four games, like not one snap. And I, I just think that's that's irresponsible by Sean Payton to to quote unquote keep his word. You could have kept your word and also gave him some snaps. And so I, I just think that was a, a huge failure on his part. My second question, right quick though. But and just to your point, you said snaps. I mean, creative Sean Payton, right? You couldn't bring Jameis out and put Taysom at wide receiver, like just do something to right. throw a defense Drew. off, right? Like I don't understand. So Drew can take snaps off, but Taysom can't take one snap off. Like right. I don't understand that. When we know he has the skill sets to play other positions, that makes sense. I, and I think you got a bigger issue, right? If Taysom is your your starter next year, Jameis is not staying. Drew is retiring and a guy of his size and the way he runs the football, even at the quarterback position, who's your backup? Like that's an important position when you got a guy like Taysom start. So you got all these unanswered questions. And listen, we haven't even addressed his propensity to fumble because 10 fumbles is just completely unreasonable. He's on record to break. I think it's Aaron Brooks's record of 14, maybe in a season. And you got to remember that at the beginning of the season, he wasn't the full-time quarterback. He was fumbling as the, the, the quarterback coming in as a role player. So, yeah, there's just a lot of issues here. And I, I have the utmost respect for Sean Payton and always believe in whatever it is he decides to do. But he, this is one where it's like I feel like we're honoring the fact that we signed Taysom first, made promise to him first, and then we stumbled into Jameis, who we didn't know would have his agent contact us and be willing to only take a $1 million one-year deal. And now – it's like, but yeah, we we basically stumbled into something that could be a big deal, but you're allowing yourself to not benefit from it because you're trying to honor a past, you know, show loyalty to um, a, a past statement that you made. But to me, when you went down 17-0, that was the perfect opportunity to bring Jameson in the second half and just see what happens. Honestly, I mean, we almost came back. So you, again, it's hard to fault Sean Payton, but I just like, my biggest thing, I think, is this guy's supposed to be a mobile quarterback, but yet he keeps seeming indecisive and getting sacked a lot. And then second of all, like you said, if Drew goes down again in the playoffs with those ribs, I think we all know that against playoff competition, we don't believe in Taysom's ability to win those football games. And you got a lot of guys whose contracts will be up, you know, Lattimore, Ramchick, Quan Alexander, Trey Hendrickson. So this team won't all be back next year. you got to try to win now. And now you don't even put yourself in position to play Jameis in the playoffs because he hasn't taken any meaningful snaps in the regular season. Right. So you're doing yourself a disservice there as well. Um, last question before we move on. Based on what you've seen these last four games, we're three and one. You mentioned the turnovers by Taysom. Do you think Taysom is a legitimate, legitimately can be the future of the franchise at the quarterback position? No, I don't. I mean, he's 30 years old. Um he is a running quarterback. We've always heard that running quarterbacks have a short shelf life. He's got a history of knee injuries. You know, everybody always says running quarterback can be successful, but how long? Cam's probably done. Mike Vick couldn't last long. They always tell you that their shelf lives are shorter. So how is it that this guy has a, a, been with the franchise for four years is now expected to be a rookie? So he'd be a 31-year-old first-time starting quarterback next year. So what are we talking, like a four-year window of him being a starting quarterback in the NFL based on, you know, what happens traditionally with uh, what are considered to be mobile running quarterbacks? Um, And so the question just that you – like the amount of time it's going to take him to grow into what we would want him to be as a starting quarterback, by the time he gets there, his career would almost be over. So to me, it's just not worth it. He doesn't have the snaps. He doesn't have the years. He hasn't shown us in the four games that, you know, it comes naturally to him. You can look back at his college, you know, days, and it didn't appear to come naturally to him then. Like, he is what he is. He's a guy who can be on a roster and make plays a quarterback, but I just don't think he's an every-down starting quarterback in the NFL. And even if he could be one day, I feel like by the time he would get there, his career would be so close to over that it's not worth the investment of time. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I, I just think, you know, where he at, where he is in his career, when you look at him, compare him to a guy on a team, right? Jameis, you compare a first-round draft pick to an undrafted. Jameis is about three years younger. Four years younger. Four years younger. And has done 
10 times more in his career and is just more ready to step in and be a starter. Now you start to wonder, did the Saints mess up the opportunity to, to re-sign Jameis? Because if you're Jameis, you got to think long and hard about re-signing with a team that didn't give you a shot when they had the chance. So They didn't give you one snap. Exactly. Right? And now do I really come back for a preseason next year competition with Taysom Hill? Is it worth it or do yeah. I just go to a team that's going to tell me you're going to be the starter next year? And there's going to be a lot of them. So um, other storylines in the NFL, the Steelers, you know, won 10 in a row. Now they've lost two in a row um, and they're kind of reeling. Right. They, they were mm -hmm. they were number one in the AFC. Now they number two And Kansas City doesn't look like they're going anywhere. They, they're still rolling off the, the Super Bowl from last year and look like the best team in football with the best player in football in, in Patrick Mahomes. You know, there's talk about Travis Kelsey possibly being offensive player of the year, you know, the best tight end in the league this year and, and looking like maybe the most explosive weapon on offensive side. Travis, I think he leads the league in receiving yards. Tyree Kill ain't too far behind him. Yeah. So, I mean, they got weapons all over the field. Defensively, with the honey badge at safety, they've made plays all year when they needed to. Um, so, in saying all that, how concerned are you about the Steelers? I mean, I'm concerned, but I think we also have to remember, I believe they played four games in 19 days. Mm -hmm. Definitely definitely three and 12. Um, and then on the back end of that, those last two games were actually difficult games, right? Like a game against the actual, you know, division, likely division winner in Buffalo. And the Redskins are probably going to win a division too. And I think we've been talking off the pot about like their defensive line, which is just it's a stellar defensive line because they've invested in it. Four straight first round picks all on that defensive line from 2017 to 2020. Um, and so, you know, Pittsburgh has had their problems drop passes, but then you had James Conner miss a game because of COVID. Um, they've lost Bud Dupree, Devin Bush in the linebacker core. Yeah. So there's just a lot that they, they've been going through. I don't, I, I don't write them off as a team that can't make noise in the playoffs. But I, I never thought they were going to finish the season undefeated or anything. But it just looks bad when you drop two in a row. They weren't supposed to lose that game to the Redskins. They were up in that game. I want to say 14-0. Yeah. Um, so realistically speaking, if they won that game like they should have, if they would have finished that second half strong the way they should have, we wouldn't be having this conversation. It was, it, we just said, oh, they finally lost and it was to a playoff team. They'll regroup. I mean, I think for them, they're starting to fall into that Saints category where it's every year Super Bowl or bust, and you and you get to see where Kansas City is still ascending. Patrick mm -hmm. Mahomes is still getting better, right. even though he won an MVP two years ago and he won a final uh, Super Bowl MVP last year. So I think for them, it's a small window with Big Ben at quarterback because you look at their team, right. they don't have a backup quarterback that's going to take over the reins. It could be a landing spot for Jameis possibly. But, um, you know, in, in you know, their window is closing and in a year where I thought maybe they could solidify that number one seed and at least give them some kind of shot. I don't know that they pose a threat to Kansas city trying to go beat Kansas city in Kansas city. Yeah. I mean, one thing we're seeing in Kansas city too, is that like the errors we're talking about the saints coming out flat and Pittsburgh, you know, pot potentially coming out flat. Kansas City is capable of making those mistakes and still winning the game. I think Patrick Mahomes ran backwards 30 yards this week and took a sack through three picks. And still they were up two scores in the fourth quarter. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So they're at a point where they're just capable of um, playing poorly and still winning those football games. And the Saints and the Steelers are, are not really there right now. Right. Definitely. So we'll see. Uh, they got a big game this week. I need to look at who they're playing, but um, they're, the, they're definitely the favorite going into this week. So we'll see, though, because they, they were the favorite two weeks ago against Washington. So um, we, we'll see if that these last two losses have any kind of uh, lasting impact on them. The team you they mentioned. Got the, they got the Bengals, I think, this week. But the week after, they have a big game with the Colts. And then they close with the Browns, which that's like going to have huge playoff implications. Yeah, definitely. Um the team you mentioned that started off the, the losing streak for the Steelers, Washington, they're trending up. At one point, they were two and seven on the season. Now they're six and seven and on a four game winning streak. Where do you see Washington? They look like they're the class of the NFC East now and might actually make a respectable record, maybe even get to 500 uh, to where that, that division is not the laughing stock we all you know, initially thought they were going to be in the first half of the season. Do you see them making any 
noise once they get to the playoffs. So the crazy thing is, you know, I was not a big fan of Dwayne Haskins getting benched. That move seems smart now because, you know, kind of like what the decision Flores had to make Tua versus Fitzpatrick. Do I play for the playoff spot or do I um, by keeping the veteran out there or do I let the young kid out there see what he can do? Um, Flores went with the rookie uh, in, in Washington. They went with um, with the veteran and it, it's paid off. They've won four in a row. And realistically speaking, I think if they're going to make noise in the playoffs, they're going to need Alex Smith to be healthy. I know he left the game with another lower leg injury, but listen, Right now, therefore, Seahawks five. I think they don't stand a chance against the Seahawks. However, if they play the Buccaneers, what we all know is that defensive line will give the Buccaneers offensive line fits. It'll give Brady fits. Um, what are we talking about? Montez Sweat, Chase Young, uh, Ryan Kerrigan. The wrong Deron Payne, and uh, they got another Jonathan, kid, Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen. So two Bama first-round picks in the D-tackle, uh, then two fir three first-round picks at defensive end spot, and those they just getting after it. They will give the Buccaneers fits. I frankly think that uh, they just won't be able to keep up offensively. Um, too many weapons for the Buccaneers, but that's a team that could beat you up if you're the Buccaneers in the first round of the playoffs and specifically beat Brady up because he's a 43-year-old quarterback without mobility. Russell Wilson, not so much. He'll be able to move around a little bit, but that would be um, a, a less than stellar. You know, I mean, really, the Giants the other, the other Giants gave the, the Buccaneers problems. So it shouldn't seem out of the realm of possibility that the Redskins would too. Definitely. I think the only thing that hurts Washington, I think, once they get to the playoffs, is a lot of Saints fans will remember uh, the year after the Super Bowl, we went and played a 7-9 Seattle Seahawks team on the road because they won the division, and we lost down in, in Seattle with the 13th man. I think when a team like Washington uh, it, it really scares you is when even with a losing record, if they got some momentum, like you mentioned, they got a great defensive line. If they had a home crowd, a home right. field advantage to speak right. of, I think to, to give them that boost, that would really have them cause some trouble for in, in the first round. But I think not having that that crowd, not having that noise, I think is the one thing that'll haunt them once they get in the playoffs, even if they get the home, you know, they, they get the home field advantage. It just won't be the, the determining factor. And one, just one other thing, speaking of being haunted, the Saints might be haunted at that two seed, having to play Arizona at that seven seed with no fans in the Superdome. If if Hurts uh, gave us trouble, God help us when we see Kyler Murray, Kenyon Drake, Christian right. Kirk, right. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, and DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm nervous about that because uh, Kyler Murray, he, he's been struggling as of late, but He's like a jitterbug back there, man. Once he gets right. going, he's hard to find. He's, he's short, so it's hard to get to him. Um, let's get into our win weekend winners and losers. Who you, who was your winners, Rob? All right, my first winner this week, Hassan Riddick, uh, linebacker for the Cardinals. Really not much to say here. Five sacks, five tackles for loss, six quarterback hits. I mean, absolutely dominant performance um, against the New York Giants. Um, like I said, not much else to say. My second winner, I'm going to go with the Dolphins secondary, but one man in particular I want to spotlight. But the, the the Dolphins lost this week, but not without a great effort from the secondary. They had three interceptions of Patrick Mahomes. I think this was like his first multi-interception game since like his first season. Um, Byron Jones had an interception, forced a fumble, but then you had Xavier Howard who also had an interception. And – that secondary, I mean, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, underrated. People don't talk about them a lot. They're two of the top five paid cornerbacks in football, and, and they play like it too. And Xavier Howard, name not being mentioned much in the defensive player of the year uh, conversation. We're getting a lot of T.J. Watt and Aaron Donald kind of fan favorites, but Xavier Howard has nine interceptions, ladies and gentlemen. That's crazy. Nine interceptions. He's not even being talked about, and there's three games left. If he finishes with – uh, double-digit interceptions, it'll be the first time that's happened since Antonio uh, Cromartie had 10, I believe, in 2007. And before that, I think it was like maybe Champ Bailey in like 03 or something. It just hasn't happened a lot, and it's happening, and nobody's talking about it, which is which is actually kind of amazing to me. They're the portion of that defense that are carrying them. Same way we said the Redskins being carried by the front four, they're being carried by the secondary. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, my last my last uh, winner is, you know, a member that that defensive line for the Redskins, Chase Young, six tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss, a pass deflection, fumble recovery, which he picked up and ran for a touchdown. And it's not just those statistics. If you watch the, the highlights or watch the game itself, he looks like a man amongst boys out there. Like he looks like I heard somebody say he looks like Derrick Henry looks on offense. He just looks like the most powerful athletic person on the football field when he picked the fumble recovery up picked it up with one hand and was looking back the whole time while he ran to the end zone and there was nobody even in the screen with him so i don't know if they were scared or if he's just that much faster than everybody else but chase young is a beast and i gotta call you out because you kept saying last year that you just didn't think he had it and you thought he would be a bust you were wrong I, I, I was definitely wrong. I was, in fact, I was about to say, I got to take that back because uh, homeboy looks like legit like the Predator over there and looks like the next elite defensive end in the NFL. Also, too, just as you mentioned, like Xavier Howard, I think two years ago when he signed his deal was the highest paid cornerback. Right. And a lot of people, including myself, kind of questioned like who? I've never heard of this guy. Right. And so to see him live up to the billing, um, that, that's cool in, in, in Miami you know, saw something that a lot of teams didn't see out of it because I don't, I don't think anybody was going to offer him that kind of money. So um, shout out to the Dolphins uh, for, for, you know, being ahead of the curve there. The crazy thing about that Dolphin secondary is they had Minka Fitzpatrick, who's another potential defensive right. player in year candidate. They traded him to the Steelers uh, for a first-round pick. That's that's crazy. That's crazy See what they, if he would have stayed. Um, getting to my winners right quick. My first winner is Cade York field goal kicker for LSU. Everybody knows LSU has struggled all year long. Teams decimated by opt-outs, transfers, um, injuries to, to start the quarterback, Miles Brennan, and just, just an overall barrier. Coming off the, the most embarrassing loss of the season to our rival Alabama, 55-17. Um, there wasn't too many hopes uh, down in Baton Rouge that we would pull out a victory against six-ranked Florida Um this past week however game on the line 20 seconds left our sophomore kicker kid york sealed the lsu win over florida with a school record 57 yard field goal um florida got the ball back and missed a 51 yarder so shout out to uh shout out to to kid york for that my second winner it hurts me to say it but jalen hurts he beat the saints and in their nine-game winning streak in his first career start, he threw for 167 yards and one touchdown, but he also rushed for 106 uh, yards and I think kind of sealed the fate of Carson Wentz ever stepping back under center in Philadelphia. And, and him and Sanders went for over 100 first. Uh, you know, we hadn't given up a 100-yard rusher. Right, in all the games, and, and we gave up two in one game. <laughs> uh, went out with a bang. Uh, <laughs> And my third winner, you mentioned him earlier, Rob, Gus Malzahn. Listen, nobody likes to get fired, but what better way to get fired than getting paid $21.7 million <laughs> on the way out? You talk about a retirement plan. This man don't have to sniff another job if he don't want to. Uh, going, you know, getting fired after going six and four in the COVID season, I think he has more than enough, you know, built his resume up more than enough to get another opportunity somewhere. And, and like I said, with that buyout, who gives a damn if he works again? <laughs> Rob, let's get to your losers. Who you got? All right, my first loser, back to that LSU-Florida game, the, th the shoot thrower, <laughs> Marco Wilson. Score tied 34-34, two minutes left in the game. I know you out here, you know, cap of LSU like y'all really deserve to win that game. But this fool, Marco Wilson, 34-34, less than two minutes uh, they made a huge stop on third down, and this fool comes up out of the tackle, shoe in hand from an LSU player, and tosses the shoe 20 yards downfield, prompting a 15-yard penalty, a first down for LSU. They go on to score on the drive and win the game. Literally, he ruined their chance at the college football playoff in that one moment. Uh, you know, the, the playoff committee looks like they tried to help him a little bit, only dropped them to seven uh, from six. But the reality is, even if they beat Bama now, I don't see how they come up from seven to jump Agreed. into the top four over Texas A&M, who beat them. Uh, and so they can thank Marco Wilson. I mean, that's just got to be a long ride home from from uh, from Baton Rouge to Gainesville if you're Marco Wilson with all your teammates just thinking, like, how stupid can you be? I mean, it's not even like the tackle sealed a victory. It's not even like the tackle right. put them in a situation where they were already up. They still needed to get the offense on the field and drive down the score. 
Uh, so it was just an incredibly dumb move to make. So Marco Wilson's my first loser. My second loser, Dan Bailey, the kicker for the Buccaneers. Couldn't connect on any of his kicks this game. 36 yards, 54 yards, 46, missed an extra point. They went for two the next time because they were just tired of seeing Dan Bailey miss every <laughs> damn kick when he walked out into the field. And they lost the game 26 to 14. So realistically speaking, they lost by 12 points and he left uh, at least 10 on the board. Um, and so, you know, Dan Bailey's my second loser, just a disappointing game to watch. Cause I really felt like the Vikings had a chance to win that game. Uh, I think the, the Buccaneers kicked a late field goal. So at some point it was 23, 14 with him having missed all those kicks, they would have been up, uh, uh, by at least a point. Um, my last loser is the university of, Fl of Florida because of how they handled the situation with, uh, young, uh, Keontae Johnson, the, preseason favorite to win the sec player of the year they were only 11 minutes into that game when this young man passed out their details still haven't been released to us as to what caused him to fall out but he hit the ground hard he cut his chin um and we all think back immediately to hank gathers who had the issue with the enlarged heart that game was stopped ladies and gentlemen when keontae johnson hit the floor florida state went to florida and asked them if they wanted to postpone the game again we're only 11 minutes into the game and the kids said they still want to play according to the University of Florida. I think that's a cop out. You're the adults in the situation. Right. When this young man passes uh, out like that and he ended up in a medically induced coma for four days. And now they're saying he's responsive. But like we don't even know what condition he's going to be in long term. And we didn't know then if he was alive or going to live. I think it was totally irresponsible, totally irresponsible, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, where games are being canceled left and right to even continue to re uh, finish this football game. And I, and I just have to make the University of my Florida, University of Florida, my third loser for the way they handled that situation. Definitely. Um, let me get to mine right quick and we'll move on to our picks of the week. Uh, my first loser is Kyrie Irving. I can't say it enough. This guy just lacks self-awareness for a top-notch athlete, uh, you know, just someone who claims to be a leader, who wants to be a leader. He just proves time and time again why he doesn't deserve to be a leader. Um, he refused to speak to media, speak with media at media day uh, and called the media pawns, said he wasn't talking to pawns. He had no use for talking to them, uh, only to, uh, I believe it was yesterday, come back and speak to the media because he was fine as well as the organization was fine. So um, he quickly had to take back those words and come up with another sorry excuse for why he didn't speak to everyone last week. Second loser. Ezekiel Elliott finished with 48 yards rushing in a win versus the Bengals where they won 30 to seven uh, and one of their most convincing wins of the year. He still couldn't put together uh, a good game. Uh, he, he only has 100 yard game this season to go along with five lost fumbles. And in a year where Dak, who wasn't paid his money, gets injured early in the season. They were looking for Zeke to pick up the slack, the highest paid running back in the league, making $15 million a year, and he just hasn't been there. He doesn't – frankly, he just doesn't look in shape. Yeah, they have some injuries on offensive line, and they don't have a threat at, at quarterback, but, you know, the highest paid running back in the league has got to produce more and can't turn the ball over at the rate he's, he's done it this season. And he's tanking my fantasy football season. <laughs> he, needs to, he really needs to get that money to Dak. Yeah, he really does. Uh, all of it. <laughs> and my third loser is Dabo Sweeney. You talk about the ultimate politician. He went into the wrong field. He's a politician <laughs> if I've ever seen one. This guy's politicking before he even plays the ACC championship game. Uh, just talking about Ohio State doesn't deserve to be in a college football playoff because they're only playing five games. Um and just for me, it's just unnecessary, right? You've been to college football playoff. If you handle your business this week and beat Notre Dame, which I don't see why he would lack confidence that they wouldn't have in his starting quarterback back and it being a neutral site there. You know, if they beat Notre Dame this week, they're in the college football playoff. So to me, it just shows a little lack of confidence in your team. Put some doubt in your player's mind that your mind is not on the game, but you're trying to. You're trying to create this narrative just in case you lose. And I just think as a coach, that's not the message you want to send to your players. You want to show ultimate confidence that you're going to blow out this Notre Dame team. Yeah, so, if I'm uh, Ohio State's coach, I'm just saying keep my name out your mouth. Yeah, and ultimately, it's not even going to matter because Ohio State's going, whether you like right. it or not. So if your ass lose, you're out. 
regardless of what you say. So it's just, it's just, I think it's just a dumb comment, and it just brings unnecessary attention to the to the the program leading up to the week before the game. Dabble's always making dumb comments. <laughs> yeah, that's nothing new. Uh, let's go quickly through the picks of the week. Uh, embarrassing to say my record is 17, 19, and 1 after going 1 and 2 this past week. Rob is 24, 12, and 1, um, looking to stay hot. So let's start off yeah, with our Kansas first. City cost me a game, you know, playing lazy. And yeah. then uh, Baker cost me a game. <laughs> well, I shouldn't even say Baker. We kind of didn't even talk about this, but it really was – it was uh, Lamar Johnson after he hopped up off the uh, Lamar Johnson. Lamar Jackson after he hopped up off that toilet came in and, and right. snatched victory from the, the jaws of defeat. Cramps. He had them bubble guts. Uh, <laughs> first game: Chicago at Minnesota. Minnesota is a three-point uh, favorite at home. Who you got here, Rob? Minnesota's covering that. They're winning. They're in the state of inspiration, trying to take that last team from them. Uh, the Cardinals, and this is pretty much their, their last shot to do it. Yeah, I mean, I just have no faith in Mitch Trubisky. He, he did play better uh, in his last week's game, but I just don't think he can uh, keep that play up. And he can, you know, he's he's lacked consistency. So I'm taking Minnesota as well. Um, Seattle at Washington. Washington is a five point underdog at home. Who you got here? As well, they should be. Um, <laughs> as I kind of pointed out with that Redskins defensive line. You know, the equalizer is going to be a guy who can get out and make plays. Also, their secondary, Kendall Fuller, Ronald Darby, decent, but not, I don't think, good enough to stop DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So I think Seattle wins here, but I think that defensive line can contain Russell uh, Wilson, keep the score reasonable. This is all in the, uh, the caveat that Alex Smith plays because he got knocked out the game. But I think with Alex Smith, he's a dink and dunk guy. He'll keep him in it. Seattle's defense is bad. They, they've given up a lot of points this year uh, and haven't really shut down anybody. So I think Washington can score with Alex Smith at quarterback, but I think Seattle has too much talent. Uh, too many plays are going to be made by Russell Wilson in the end. So I think they win a game, but I do think Washington covers with the five. Uh, last game, Kansas City at our New Orleans Saints. The Saints are home dogs, three-point dogs for the first time in uh, at least in 10 years. Who you got here, Rob? Uh, clearly I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> we haven't announced Drew as the starter. I don't think we're going to end up starting Drew. I think there was a, uh, the, somebody in the media said that, you know, we were going to not rush him back. And I felt like that was a leak for code word of he's not, uh, starting this week coming. And if he is, honestly, um, you know, I think we all just got to say our prayers, but I still don't even think it'll necessarily be enough. Uh, to to stop this Patrick Mahomes led offense with Tyreek Hill and um, Travis Kelsey in the dome with no fans, um, I, I just I just don't see it. We're we're not rolling that well on offense. Bringing Drew in off the, the street after four games, I don't think is going to get it done. Yeah, and there's no, nothing else need to be said. Kansas City wins this game. Um, going KC as well. That's all we got here today. Check this out. We're going to roll out, but you know, every once in a while, I try to give you all a movie or a TV show we're watching. I watched uh, Safety, the movie about the Clemson um, football player under Tommy Bowden who took in his brother. Mom was, was in rehab and his dad wasn't around. His brother was going to go into foster care. Great movie. Disney Plus. Check it out. Rob, anything before we get out of here? I'm still on that uh, power <laughs> and, um, you know, whatever it is, book two or whatever. And then they Power. got Your Honor on Showtime based out of New Orleans. Good one to check out. And the podcast I told you about, uh, about the referees, whistleblower, good listen, you know, when you ride in the car in the gym or something like that. Cool. That's all we got for today, y'all. We'll see y'all next week. Later. All right. We out of here. I call my brothers, I got a lot of flows and they all like butter You know what that means, I came home nice but I'm going back mean I'm about to glow trot when they know a vaccine Motherfuckers act lost but they know exactly what's going on Made a mill and I don't know where to blow it on I tell a critic shut up like my show is on Give a t-shirt to a set, throw it on She want a mini high school classmates, I'm growing up